0: show that kind of takes you into some sudden semblance of profound thought after miles and miles of lighthearted banter. that's the idea uh you can follow us on facebook of course as usual at facebook.com slash and on twitter you can go to at show on twitter my name of course is Rashawn murrow and um i bet you're probably wondering hey where's that other white guy who's always talking with you who also co-hosts the show uh alex riddles who you might be referring to well a funny story about him you see um apparently he tried to eat a live lobster or something and of course the lobster pinched the back of his throat i guess and now his throat's nice and sore and and can't speak or at least can barely speak uh something to that effect happened i'm not quite sure why he would do that i told him over and over about trying to eat live lobsters but does he listen to me of course he does not. Uh, no, hey, there's Alex right now. Hey, Alex, uh, how you doing? Are uh, you doing okay?
1: Yeah.
0: Wait, 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 I can't, what was that? I can't understand what you're saying. Say that again. Are you okay? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's about what his voice sounds like. You're you're going to have to sit this one out, Alex. Uh, but never fear, you sudden defters out there, because uh, we have someone on the line that's been so nice to join us to fill in for Alex, Alex. Um, his name is Michael Sang, that's a Sang with a T, I'm told, known in some quarters as T-Sang, uh, others as Mikey, uh, probably other quarters as, I don't know, Cletus. He's known as many things in the many quarters, and he's been so nice enough to join us and help fill in. So, Michael, how are you doing? Are you all right? What's up?
2: Yeah, I'm doing great. How are you?
0: <laughs> I am fantastic. Uh, thank you so much for uh filling in for Alex, I'm sure he really appreciates that. Uh don't you Alex? <laughs> wow,
2: well, it certainly sounds like he's enthusiastic, so <laughs>
0: <Yes>. <laughs> If only you can speak right now. <laughs> you just take a rest, Alex, okay? So Mike and I will handle it from here. Um and so Michael is um about to be uh, a doctor of some sort, I believe an eye doctor, an eye surgeon or something to that effect, isn't that
2: right? Yes, that is correct. I actually just recently matched into my uh, residency program, so. Uh, I'm not quite sure up. what that means, but it sounds fancy-schmancy, so congratulations. <laughs> thank you, thank you. It's a big deal.
0: <laughs> and you wander around uh, New York or somewhere around there, those parts?
2: That's right, I'm in the Bronx.
0: The concrete jungle where dreams are made of, or something to that effect, I would imagine. Yeah. Uh, how do you like it, it there, the You know what? That's
2: right. <laughs> Uh the Bronx is great. It's you know, it gets a bad rap for uh you know, being with a little ghetto. But um Right. No, it's 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 not bad. There's actually predominantly Italians where I live. So uh, Mom, you know, <laughs> Oh man, yeah, it's a it's a spicy neighborhood.
0: What do you think about I that? <laughs> all right, all right. Calm down. It's okay. Just
2: chill out. <laughs> Chill out, right oh man uh <laughs> yeah so you know living in the Bronx is pretty great it's close to Manhattan which is fun and uh yeah I'm actually I'm staying here to uh for more training so I'll be here for the next four years
0: all right so you're gonna go ahead and get educated and make the dollar dollar bills yo
2: I imagine it's
0: the goal here yeah
2: that is one of the goals the Biggest goal is to treat eye disease. but and Of course, dollar the dollar healing
0: part, yeah, blah, blah, blah. Come on now. It's about the dollar-dollar <laughs> dollar bill, <laughs> right.
2: Joe. Okay, okay, so, right. All right. So we're Michael's joining jobs. us. I guess I can be real.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes. There you go. Michael's uh, nice enough to join us from New York, and we're, we're based in Houston, obviously. And, um, you know, something that people in New York and in Houston and all over the rest of the country and all over the rest of the world witnessed just a few days ago was the inauguration the oh so unexpected and unique inauguration of the forty fifth president of these United States one Donald John Trump, uh that was President Trump nowadays. Um, you know, this I thought the J was these... for Julio. <laughs> yes. And so when Bruno Mars no, says Julio, okay. get the stretch, he's talking about Donald <laughs> <Right>. Trump, obviously. <laughs>
2: What do you mean? Yeah, that's all right. That's You know, that's always what I thought, but I guess uh, we've been listening to different music. Anyway, keep going. No, that's I'm right. Sorry. You, you guys me. in the
0: Bronx and in Texas, we have different musical styles, obviously. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so Donald Julio Trump is now president of the United States. And, you know, he, uh, as he chronicled many times here on Sudden Death, he's said and or done things that some people have really liked, but a lot more people have really the opposite of liked. Uh, as in now, mm-hmm. um and that kind of behavior apparently continues it continued throughout the transition and is continuing now as president so you know first off, before we get started here, um you know Alex and I have made our opinions known about Donald Trump, what we think about him. It's kind of a mixed bag for us. Um, Isn't that right, Alex? So, yes, we agree. (laughs) (laughs) um, I told you, you can't speak. Uh, So, uh, that's how we feel about him. You know, we like some of the policies that he's espousing, but some of his uh, behavior is less than desirable, and some of the things he's done and said uh, have been really less than desirable, and we've kind of chronicled that on the previous episode, but... Just for the audience to get up to date on how you stand, do you like the guy or do you the opposite of like the guy?
2: You know, I to be completely honest, I'll tell you two things, and both of them are not based on fact. Or, you know what? They're based on alternative facts. Some of that. Yes. Um, <laughs> because that's, the the that's a hot to- Yeah, that's a hot topic for the day. But, you know... First of all, I don't know anything about it. Um, but, you know, as a physician, I think repealing the ACA uh, is pretty aggressive. Uh, I don't know what they're really trying to do in replace of that. But, you know, my dad is a physician, and he's got a large increase of patients these days. But he's happy because these people needed this health care. You know, these people are really sick. And even yeah. though he's a lot busier, you know, he, he realizes that it's good that these people are getting the treatment that they need. So, you know, I, again, I don't follow politics too closely, but, you know, I read the ACA was repealed, right? What's up with that? What happened? Can you tell me what that is? Or?
0: <laughs> yes, I will tell all of us what the deal is there to the extent that I know. So, you know, we all know that in 2009 there was a hot, heated debate about, uh, you know, the, the Obama's health care initiative and what that would look like. People were afraid that it would include too much of the federal government kind of interfering in the relationship between patients and their doctors. What ultimately Mm -hmm. passed was um, a healthcare uh, kind of system where you have an an individual mandate where everyone has to buy insurance or pay a fine. And and Mm -hmm. that is supposed to put everyone in this large pool of money that people who are really sick can use to get healthcare at a more affordable rate. Um, But of course, the thing about the individual mandate is it only works if a lot of young, healthy people, like I assume you and I, and not Alex. Mm-hmm. So, uh, <laughs> sounds like that. <laughs> not him, but
2: the rest of us no, the young people. Yeah. Two-thirds <laughs> yes. of Americans.
0: <laughs> right, and so we're supposed to be paying into this healthcare system through the individual mandate, and we get fined if we don't, and that's supposed to create a large pool of uh, health insurance, and that along with this idea that people who have pre-existing conditions, who before were not allowed to get health insurance in, in some cases, and uh, they're now forced, the insurance companies are forced to provide health care for them. And people who are up to age 26 on their parents' health care insurance, who are either living in their basement with their parents or studying hard to become a doctor, like Mr. T. Sang is, um, they can <laughs> stay on to not have to pay for health insurance every month. Um, what ended up happening was uh, a lot of young people, you know, a good amount signed up for Obamacare because there's this big kind of campaign push where the president would go on between two firms and go on. YouTube <laughs> channels of people who bathe in Cheerios or whatever or fruit loops and mm-hmm. you know a hawk is saying every every enrollment period um but a lot is of that people a did, literal
2: bathing in fruit loops or
0: uh, no yeah because you know Glozell Green who is this YouTube star uh, she has she mm-hmm. wears green lipstick uh, and she has a oh, YouTube yeah, video with her, her bathing in fruit loops yes
1: right. so he talked okay. to her
0: in an effort to hawk the <laughs> health care act the Obamacare. Right. um yeah, so well, okay. during open enrollment periods, a good amount of young people signed up, but not really enough, and not the amount that they predicted uh, to sign up. Not to mention healthcare.gov back in 2013, the launch of that was a complete disaster, where the thing didn't even work for months. Um, But, you know, that's what ended up happening. And at the same time, a lot of, uh, you know, well, the Supreme Court, first of all, after upholding most of the law uh, two times, they also said that it was unconstitutional for the, The federal government to force states to have uh, Medicare funding uh, for their states to to cover their citizens that way. And so, a lot of states, like Texas, here in Texas, for example, uh, they Mm -hmm. opted out of that uh, provision. And so, you've got like a Mm -hmm. patchwork of different states that some have Medicare coverage under the Obamacare Act and others don't. Um, And then you have insurance companies that uh, are raising premiums on some of these plans. Now, a lot of uh, these people who needed the premiums, uh, their subsidies were increased, but and other cases, they weren't increased enough. Um, and, you know, deductibles were rising in some cases, premiums in other cases. And so a lot of people who had health care before uh, find that their health care now is unaffordable. Uh, and some people who had, like, catastrophic plans where, you know, you just get covered if you get, like, in a car accident and you puncture a lung and break two legs or something, you uh, coverage for that. Well, Obama, the Obamacare Act said that you have to have a certain – uh, threshold of coverage So you can't just have catastrophic coverage You have to have like a, a list of ten things And so people mm. who had the insurance That they liked They were kicked off of their insurance Despite the president saying over and over again If you like your health care plan You'll get to keep your health care plan If you like your doctor You'll get to keep your doctor And so you know there's a, a patchwork of different problems With Obamacare mm-hmm. And uh, you know one of which Is the enormous cost of the program And so Mm -hmm. that's kind of the background for where we are now. Republicans have been trying to repeal the darn thing for the last six years, but they couldn't do it because obviously Obama was president and he would veto anything that was passed. Um, Mm -hmm. And so now they're in a position to finally enact their reforms and their reforms. And I I was going to ask you this question, what you and, you know, Mr. Dr. Father T saying would think about these reforms (laughs) that they're proposing. So, you know, they're, they're trying to take all the Republican ideas that have been hashed over the last six years into one bill, which Trump is going to be signing soon, one would assume. And some of those ideas include uh, allowing people to purchase insurance across the state lines um, because the theory is that if people in the Bronx, for example, can buy plans mm-hmm. out of Texas, that'll force those Bronx insurance companies to be more competitive with their prices, i.e. lower them. And, you know, it's kind of the, the free market competition idea. So that's kind of yeah. one idea. Another is health savings accounts where you have... you. Know, it's kind of self-explanatory. Kind of accounts set away for any health insurance-related costs you might need to cover. Um, and another is um, kind of block granting Medicare to the states. Um, I don't actually know what that means, but uh, maybe you do because <laughs> you're in the field. But that's uh, like I... those are the three big things their proposals. Do you think so, any of those things would know, be effective?
2: I I like the sound of that for sure. I just I guess. Um you know how solid are these plans, like how hashed out? because these kinds of things take an enormous amount of planning and uh you know logistics and I guess on paper, Rashan, the way you broke it down for me, the first two things at least you know they sound good, they say promising people need a lot of health care and um the As long as we can get it to them, you know, I'm happy. I don't care who it's under. I don't care if it's under, you know, evil Trump or whatever. If we can get something to, you know, help the people who need it, then by all means, you know, if Satan himself wrote this act, then I'll put it into, you know, give it a go. But, uh, yeah, do you know how hashed out these plans are?
0: We're well, right. So, you know, there are uh, several hashed out plans because, you know, different Republicans like uh, Paul Ryan, who's kind of was the big budget wonk guru on Capitol Hill until he became Speaker of the House. Um, he right. had been putting out concrete plans and he actually has went out on the GOP website. It's called the A Better Way plan. And it has some of the things that I talked about. And it also has this idea of tort reform, which, uh, you know. People in my industry, the law industry, go around suing right. doctors like you because you mess people up <laughs> allegedly. And so, as a petition, and so by getting rid of tort reform, it would cap the amount of damages that one would be able to sue for. And so, doctors like you would be able to stop practicing all this preventative medicine, all these things that you're, pra- uh, you know, doing to patients, and so that you can cover your rear end, a cya, if you will. <laughs> And that would thereby bring <laughs> down some of the cost of these procedures. That's how the theory goes anyway. Um, mm-hmm. And so Paul Ryan has his concrete plan out. There's also another guy, uh, Georgia Congressman Tom Price. Uh, he's the oh, guy fine. who has been nominated to be the Secretary of Health and Human Services under President Trump. Uh, he also has put oh. out his own plan. He's a big kind of healthcare care hawk. He used to be a doctor before he actually was a congressman. Um, oh. Again, he has some of these types that. of things. Um, Senator Rand Paul, uh, he actually is an eye surgeon, uh, or at least by trade, he's an eye surgeon. He's, he has been what you're going to be, and he has his own kind of libertarian version of these. And so what we <laughs> have here is a hodgepodge of different Republican plans, but we haven't settled onto one Republican plan. The Republican party right. is kind of trying to decide which of these, um, um, plethora of ideas we're going to use in our final bill. And that's what's going on right now. And so, you know, they're going to have a lot of more free market oriented solutions. And the goal would mm-hmm. be, is to one, not mandate that people buy something. And number two, is right. to get uh, the choice about the kind of health care and health insurance mm-hmm. that people have in the hands of them mm-hmm. and their doctor, as opposed to some federal bureaucrat. Um, but, uh, you know, from what you've heard about the GOP plan, you think that, you know, if it could get passed, it would give the same kind of access to affordable health care that Obamacare was supposed to do.
2: I think, yes, I think access is definitely good. What I will say about, you know, the ACA's quote-unquote pushiness is that sometimes people need a little help, you know. I think, like, the Republicans and conservative thought is, you know, it's very, like, uh, kind of like pull yourself up by the bootstraps and, like, you know, you can be a trillionaire if you just try. Uh, We don't need the government, you know, handing out, handouts all the time but you know I think there's no perfect system and no silver bullet th- you mean what's that no silver bullet right no silver bullet so right I don't think people should be forced into buying health care I do think there are people out there who probably don't have it because they think they don't need it because whatever they're healthy and they've never needed it and their father and their grandfather and their grandfather's grandfather never got sick, you know. But, you know, you, you never know what happens to these people. So. Right. You could
0: be like Alex and put a live lobster <laughs> down your throat and end up sounding like this.
2: <laughs>
0: he didn't think he needed right. health care, but look at him now.
2: And, if you know, if there wasn't such a push for people to, quote, unquote, be forced to, um, you know, get health care, then, you know... Alex might be <laughs> quite quite in harm, I, I guess. Right. Uh, but I I agree. I think um, people don't necessarily like the idea of being forced. It's it's un-American. It's it's not what we like to do, right?
0: Yeah, but unfortunately, the entire Democratic Party is likes to be forcing people to do a lot of things, like healthcare, for example. <laughs> and now you know this is a great conversation about healthcare, and it will continue because this will be an ongoing fight and we'll have to see how Obamacare is unraveled over time and how the GOP replacement plan is, well, I guess unraveled as well, but a different kind of unraveling, (laughs) I suppose. So I could have thought of those words better, but there's always next time. So, um, but that's a great start to the show here, and we've got a a fantastic show, by the way. We're we're going to talk about uh, Donald Trump dividing America and the media and the left dividing America, the Women's March on Washington that happened this weekend, and we're going to have – a special interview, our first Sudden Depth Sudden Guest interview with one Joseph Casada, <laughs> who is a, a Houston-based lawyer. I don't know why. <laughs> okay, Michael finds Joseph's <laughs> name funny, I guess, but okay. Uh, Joseph's going to stop sorry. by and...
2: I love the word play.
0: <laughs> okay, well, thank you. I mean, it's our new segment. It's called Sudden Guest. Uh, I just thought of that just now. So it'll be called that, and he'll join us at the... <laughs> The latter part of the show to talk about his feelings about Trump and his administration from the Latino perspective. So that'll be fun. Uh, But first, yeah, Donald Trump uh, spoke with the uh, at the inaugural platform on Friday in Washington, D.C. And right after 12, noon after being sworn in. Did you catch any of that, Michael, this speech?
2: I wasn't. I wasn't able to hear it. I was uh, I was in the hospital. Uh, please, <laughs> yes. Can you give me a quick summary of
0: uh, Oh, don't worry. Not only will I give you a quick summary, this soundbite that I'm about to play will give you a quick summary. Here's a highlight okay. of, the, of what he had to say in the inaugural address in less than three minutes. Take a listen to this.
3: Today, we are not merely transferring power from one administration to another or from one party to another, but we are transferring power from Washington, D.C., And giving it back to you, the people. We, the people. For many decades, (laughs) we've enriched foreign industry at the expense of American industry, subsidized the armies of other countries while allowing for the very sad depletion of our military. We've defended other nations' borders while refusing to defend our own. and spent trillions and trillions of dollars overseas while America's infrastructure has fallen into disrepair and decay. From this day forward, a new vision will govern our land. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. America first.
0: Yeah, so, you know, that was the gist of the speech, really, if you break it all down. It's mm-hmm. a very populist message. It's a very, we're going to put America's interests first above the rest of the world. We're going to stop fighting these wars. We don't need to. We're going to put our own interests first. We're going to renegotiate these trade deals that uh, Mexico and China have been taking advantage of us. We're going to fix the mm-hmm. inner cities, you know, that kind of thing. And some of it was yeah. very populist, but some of it was kind of Bernie Sanders-ish with all this uh, talk of renegotiating the trade deals and canceling NAFTA and such. So, you know, that kind of populist vibe, uh, is that the kind of uh, political philosophy that you want to see in your leader?
2: Um, I mean, I think, you know, the power back to you is, oh, man, that sounds great. Have you seen that clip? Uh, a little bit of a segue, but um, yeah, have you seen The Dark Knight Rises?
0: Uh, I've seen the movie, so Yeah.
2: Yeah, so there's actually uh, the, the antagonist in that movie, Bane, Uh, Makes a speech after he takes over Gotham and he says the exact same quote. He says, we've taken over Gotham to take the power away from these corrupt politicians to give it to you, the people. Uh, and you know, all over my Facebook, it's been like, of course, Donald Trump is a real life villain. <laughs> oh, good grief.
0: Um, but you know, he ran <laughs> his campaign on a lot of these populist ideas. During the speech, he also kind of trashed the establishment. Basically, said, you right. know, for decades, these establishment politicians, even though there are like dozens of them right behind him when he was saying this, right. they've been putting their <laughs> own interests first, trying to line their pockets without thinking about you, the American people. And we're going to stop mm-hmm. that right here and right now. And I think a lot of his supporters, at the very least, and maybe even some Bernie Sanders supporters, kind of like that kind of talk. And, and so I think that, you know, that if it's done correctly, that could be uh, a less-than-villainous thing for the country. It could be maybe a heroic thing, don't you think?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think, I think self-preservation and, uh, you know, fortifying America and being – I think kind of these days, there's kind of a question of like, is America the greatest country in the world? And like, you know, we're struggling in a lot of facets, but you know, if Trump can make us feel that, you know, feel like we're truly the best and kind of focus on ourselves as opposed to maybe spreading ourselves too thin in other countries. I mean, in a vacuum that sounds great. Sure. You know, but uh, you know, in, a, in an inauguration speech like that, you have to keep it broad. You have to keep it, you know, uh, consumable for the greater mass, I guess.
0: Yeah, that's um, what so he did yes. in his campaign. He speaks in very consumable ways, if you will, uh, not <laughs> yeah. not too sophisticated in his vocabulary. You know, uh, we're going to build the wall. Who's going to pay for the right. wall? Mexico. So, yeah, not, <laughs> not a lot of detail or depth there. Very little sudden depth exactly. on his
2: part. Right. But, yeah, so that's but, how he's been know, able to, to get yeah, go ahead. excited. Yeah, no. Um, you, know, you know, do you think he's going to build the wall, Sean, in a word?
0: <laughs> uh, I mean, it's kind of hard to do it in a word. I think there's going to be a portion of the wall. I think uh, really? to something. he's got to have something in four years to come back and say, I kept my biggest campaign promise. Do I think he's going to get right. 2,000 miles of border wall? Of course not. Uh, do I think he's going to get Mexico to pay for the wall? Of course not. But he's going to, I think, you know, <laughs> build some part of the wall at, at the very least. You know, he said during the campaign he wanted 1,000 miles of border wall of the 2,000-mile border because the rest of the border is filled with kind of natural borders, like rivers and cliffs and stuff. Um, sure. And there was a bill in, 20, in 2006, uh, around there, that the Congress actually passed when George W. Bush was trying to push his immigration reform package through. That was uh, this fencing act that was supposed to build, I think, 700 miles of fencing. But, of course, that fencing never got erected uh, because, you know, politicians are slow and whatever, whatever the problem was. So part of the appropriations process, in in other words, you know, the budget for each year, some of the first budget, the budget that he's negotiating with Paul Ryan is supposed to have money to at least start building that wall. Now, he's going to have problems with people, leftists particularly, uh, you know, California, Mm -hmm. some of the people in California are threatening to sue if he builds the wall there because oh, know, wow. some, some some iguanas uh, mating route would be cut off or whatever the case <laughs> is, something like that. Really? Uh, yeah. So he's going to have some challenges. And he's going to have some imminent domain problems as well because there's going to be some private property you might have to actually build on. And so that's going to be lawsuits uh, lawsuits in that regard. So there's going to be some problems here and there, which is why I said he's not going to be able to build that entire wall. But I, I think he's going to have something to show in four years, when it's re election time, for supporters, yes, I built the wall. Now, how he'll get Mexico to quote unquote pay for it, that's still a big question, but I think he's going to do that. Um, but I guess you're kind of more skeptical.
2: Well, I'm I, something else I'm picking up on. So it's early in his presidency, but you think he will want to do another four after this four?
0: I mean, he's been saying like this entire past weekend, you know, he'll speak to the CIA or to some leaders of Congress and they'll say, uh, for the next eight years, I'm going to do this. And, oh, uh, he, my. During his transition period, he went to Louisiana um, because inside political baseball, Louisiana, the Senate election process is a runoff process. So if you don't get 50 percent or more of the vote in the Senate race, there's, gonna, there's a runoff that happens in December. And so he was campaigning mm-hmm. for that senator, the GOP senator, after his election, but before the senator's election. And he said back there, um, I don't even need your support He at a, a rally. And he told the people at the rally, I don't even need your support, but I'm still coming here, but I'll need it in four years from now. So don't worry. And so, you know, he's been no. giving hints here and there he's going to be running. And I think with an eagle right. like his, he's definitely going to be wanting <laughs> to run for the, the entire eight year, two terms. Um, but, you know, it's yet to be seen if he'll, what campaign promises he'll keep and which ones he'll kind of skirt the line on. Um, right. But, you know, his, he made some uh,
2: bold, bold statements. I mean, the Muslim registry, I mean, all these things, you know, feed feed a lot of fires. But, you know, at the end of the day, like, I don't know. I don't
0: know. Right. So, so part of his kind of brand is being a negotiator, someone who can make uh, deals. And so with sure. things like, you know, the tax rate, he campaigned on a 15% corporate tax rate, which is down from 35% right now. You know, that being kind of one of the incentives for companies not to build their products overseas because the mm-hmm. tax rate here is so burdensome that they feel like they have to go overseas to make a, a decent profit. Trump's been saying, you know, I'm gonna lower the tax rate to fifteen percent so that you'll wanna come back to the US and build stuff here. Mm. And so that's right. the kind of thing that can be negotiated and it might not end up being fifteen percent, it might be twenty percent, it might be twenty five percent, but the goal will be to get it down some. And so He'll negotiate some of these campaign promises, uh, give himself some legal room that way. Um, And the same thing with kind of the the trade deals. And uh, he said that he's going to slap a 35% tariff on these very same companies. If they Mm -hmm. build a factory overseas and start being headquartered overseas and then trying to sell those overseas-made products back to the U.S., the Trump plan is to tax them 35% uh, of a tariff. Now, the conservative Republican House probably is not going to be too thrilled about passing a 35% tariff uh, that definitely goes against their kind of free market principles on you right, know, right. creating incentives through tax incentives, but not you know, punishing them with big government uh, tariffs because you know, that could have implications for the consumer as well. So those mm-hmm. kinds of things can be negotiated, and I think he's going to try to negotiate some of these hard-line positions he had during the campaign. I mean, we're seeing it with DACA you know, the kind of the Dreamers uh, Deferred Action Program that Obama signed, many would say mm-hmm. unconstitutionally, including the hosts of this <laughs> program. Uh, but he signed <laughs> that into law. To Alex? And, uh, well, both of us. Uh, yes, yeah. Alex, you agree with that, right? You agree with that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he agrees. Calm oh, yeah, down. All right. I get it. I get it. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> so, those kinds of things, he's already kind of backtracking on that because he... During the primaries of the campaign, he was saying, not only am I going to rescind that executive order, I'm going to take every person who's living in the U.S. illegally and deport them all. All 11 mm-hmm. million of them are going to have a giant deportation force, and we, mm-hmm. we either have a country or we don't have a country. That's what he was saying the entire mm-hmm. time. Now that he's president, uh, you know, his press secretary just had a, a, his first formal press conference, and he was asked about the DACA situation. And he's now saying, well, you know, we're going to focus on the criminal illegal aliens first. And then, you know, maybe down the road we'll <laughs> deal with that DACA stuff. But we're going to go for the mm-hmm. criminals right now, which is funny because that's essentially the same position that Barack Obama had to go after the criminal right. illegal aliens. So mm-hmm. he kind of gives himself wiggle room in these things by kind of negotiating these positions. And so I say yeah. to all the people out there who are afraid he's going to do this to you and do that to you the real answer is he's probably not going to do any of those things to you, so you really should have calmed down uh, right. I think and so you know people who were not calm by the way were those who were at the women 's March in washington d c and all across America and all across the world on Saturday mm-hmm. at the inauguration women and men um, thank you to different Michael was one of the people who actually wait we're going to talk to him about that in a second, but women and men from all across the world went to different cities with giant signs and things on, on their heads and whatnot. Um, and we basically protesting Donald Trump, number one, and the conservative policies he ran on number two. Um, so as I've just said, a lot of those things that they're fearing aren't actually going to happen, but being our uh, women's March correspondent, Michael, please tell us number one, why you went to the women's March and what you kind of experienced while you were there.
2: Yeah, so, um, you know, I, I'll i be honest. The main reason I went was because my sister was going, and she asked me to go, and I said, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Michael, who wears the pants in this family? Come on. <laughs> well, uh, I think we all wear pants, but like <laughs> probably, probably my sister. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> um, you know, I, it's my first protest ever. Rashad, have you been to a protest? I have not. Exactly. So, you know, I, you know, I to see what's going on. I'm not that crazy about Trump and his policies, but at the same time, I'm not that well-educated. So anyway, so I went, you know, we all made posters. They were this is New York waiting, city, right? But... No, I went home to DC. I went to the real thing. Oh,
0: look at you, Mr. Fancy pants. All right, please continue. That's
2: right. So she wears the pants, but I have the fancy pants. That's so right. Okay. We, uh... I
0: got it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, yeah so uh you know, we got there. I actually missed all the big talks um that uh you know they got uh, Michael Moore. And, we're going to play uh, some of those talks in
0: a minute, so don't worry about that, but just tell us about your oh, experience when you were there.:
2: Yeah, so you know, I went and I gotta say it was from my perspective it was it was nice it was uh it was very peaceful. there was a ton of people there, kind of just voicing it wasn't really like a unified message i would say it was just kind of people who were upset with the whole trump uh presidency coming together signs were talking about healthcare, abortion women's rights immigrants um you know building a wall mike pence i mean really it it spanned the whole spectrum but you know we marched to the white house and you know we had some cute little rants and uh yeah it lasted a few hours i think it was a great way to, for people to voice their opinions and to, I guess, feel like they're, they're, the things that they care about are being heard. You know, there's a now lot you of end: Go ahead. Yeah.
0: Okay. So you said the kinds of things that were being complained about kind of span the spectrum, but it doesn't sound like the political ideology span any kind of spectrum. It sounds like a bunch of liberals were out there complaining about liberal issues. Is that, would that be correct from your experience?
2: I would yeah, I think that's uh that's fairly accurate. There were some um I saw a bikers for Trump podium who were no. uh fervently talking into a megaphone. Uh but other than that, yes, I would say these are mostly liberals. Um, probably uh three quarters women. Um, but a good representation of most people. But yeah, probably liberals. I don't think uh Many pro-Trump or conservative people are out there, but I don't know. I didn't talk to too many of them.
0: So, you know, we'll get back to the liberal angle in a second, but what was your sister's kind of reason for going out there? What was her complaint about Trump or his administration or his policies?
2: I think her big concern is really the whole um, Planned Parenthood thing. And, uh, I mean, just today, didn't Trump, like, abolish uh, abortions? or something of that matter? <laughs> <laughs> not quite, but it was basically, there's this
0: kind of thing, down to get you in the weeds, but there's this kind of policy that kind of ping-pongs back and forth from Republican administrations to Democratic administrations, and what Republicans mm-hmm. always do is they say, um, you know, we're not going to use taxpayer funding for abortions in, like, Mexico City or wherever. There's some kind of organization in Mexico City that we've been giving taxpayer fundings for abortions to, and Democrat right, presidents right. always come in and they kind of you know, repeal that executive order, and then Republicans come in, and then they replace executive order. So it was basically Mm -hmm. kind of a narrow loss of funding for abortions in, like, Mexico or something like that. That's what he Mm -hmm. said, but it wasn't like getting rid of abortions.
2: Oh, I thought he just waved his uh, big Republican wand and said, no abortions.
0: Well, as Marco Rubio said, Michael, because his hands are so small, his big Republican (laughs) wand is probably not that big. Uh, really get the just <laughs> so we're clear on that but <laughs> that's, right. that's what he did lots but of comments she,
2: about she, his uh, small hands too very clever posters I, I must say
0: yes uh I saw some of them you posted some of them on Instagram and or Facebook and uh,
2: that's some correct, kind, of, kind of
0: vulgar posters out there too right the, uh, wasn't, <laughs> yes. wasn't someone dressed as a but, vagina or something
2: there was someone dressed as a vagina yes there were many phallic symbols out there um oh. You know, healthy healthy dose of
0: everything for everyone. <laughs> yes. Okay, so your sister was kind of upset with the abortion policies. Uh, but, you know, there are a lot of people who are uh, seeming to be upset with these uh, abortion-type policies. That's seeming to be from what I saw from my comfortable perch in my apartment building. That seemed to be kind of <laughs> the main concern about, you know, these quote-unquote reproductive rights that really mm-hmm. means abortion. Now, you know, right. you were talking about some of the celebrities that you kind of missed out on. Um, Mm -hmm. Alex actually sent me uh, One of these celebrities Her name is Ashley Judd Some kind of actress or something like that I think she's basically a nut job And I was listening to this (laughs) rant that she did On uh, the Women's March in D.C. You'll hear just why
1: I am a nasty woman I'm not as nasty as a man Who looks like he bathes in Cheeto dust Uh, A man who's are a death (laughs) track to America. Electoral college sanctioned hate speech contaminating this national anthem. I'm not as nasty as Confederate flags being tattooed across my city. Maybe the South actually is gonna rise again. Maybe for some, it never really fell.
0: Blacks are
1: still in shackles <laughs> and graves just for being black. Slavery is reinterpreted as. I didn't get my shackles. Go get
0: my shackles back. get my shackles.
1: Melanin as animals. Yeah, and I box. am not as nasty <laughs> as a swastika painted on a pride flag. And I didn't know devils could be did Trump paint a resurrected by a field. Hitler, in these <laughs> streets. A mustache traded and then Hill. for a toupee. <laughs> Nazis renamed the cabinet electroconversion therapy. The new gas chamber shaming the gay out of America, turning rainbows into suicide. Notes, I, what, I mean, am Rainbow not as a, nasty what are you about as women? racism, fraud, <laughs> conflict of interest, Rishon. homophobia, <laughs> yeah. sexual assault, transphobia, White supremacy Misogyny Ignorance White privilege
0: Check that list off Check all those lists off You go girl
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm not as nasty as using Little girls like Pokemon Before their bodies have even developed what? I am not as nasty <laughs>
3: wow. as your Gotta catch them all.
1: Daughter being your favorite sex symbol uh,
0: okay. Like your
1: wet dreams Infused With your own genes, but yeah, I'm a nasty woman.
0: You're also an insane woman. That's what you are. (laughs) Uh, This was, like, there are people, there are thousands, maybe millions of people cheering this nonsense. Um, Mm -hmm. Is that something that would have been cheering? If you had heard this, uh, would you have been cheering this kind of speech?
2: Well, what I'll say is that the hype was real. You know, people got really excited, and I got swept in it, and It was great. I think Trump is only one of two things. He can only be the hero or the villain. And, you know, that kind of dichotomy makes for really intense discussions about our new president. You know, like he can't just be like this dude. He has to be the heartbringer of evil or the savior of men. And when that's the case, you know, emotions and 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 statements about this man become very extreme um, yes we're, so yeah. we're having wet dreams while catching
0: pokemon girls and then shackling up black people as well and writing <laughs> swastikas on rainbow flags <laughs> it's just insane. yeah
2: well i mean hey conservatives out there are like well liberals are just you know just stabbing little baby cute babies in the hearts and Having gay sex everywhere while well, <laughs> the marijuana. So you know what? I think it's about the same. <laughs> well, this is an if interesting point, though, me. because
0: what I was going to talk about—we're we going to do a Rashaun-a-log today, which is a Rashan monologue. By the way, for all you, those of you guys out oh. there, but um, yeah, you yeah. know, it's going to be about the media. But we'll save that for when Alex comes back and he can actually speak. Um, but I was going to talk about the difference between the coverage of the Tea Party protests in 2009, 2010, and the coverage of this women's march. You would have thought that this mm-hmm. women's march on Washington was like the next uh, Martin Luther King march on Washington. <laughs> yeah, no, was something that to that degree. And when the Tea Party did the exact same thing in '09, and it was barely covered by the mainstream media. And so, well, like, how many
3: people it, were there?
0: The same amount. There's like a good, almost a million people. It was just, it was just okay. as big as a crowd back in '09. There's so 2009 um, There's this group called the Nine Twelve Project. Um, that was headed by conservatives and radio show host Glenn Beck and some of his conservative followers. And what they did was they kind of uh, came together on September 12th, 2009, and had this big march on Washington. And when they did that, they had actual grievances with the government, Uh, one of them being Mm -hmm. Obamacare and it being too intrusive into our lives, another being the taxes that were going to be raised too high, in their view, and the out-of-control federal spending. And it was a very economics-based uh, uh, protest in 2009. And when they did it, they didn't have people talking about wet dreams and Pokemon girls and and black people in shackles and chains. And I mean, there were. I mean, and what they would do the media is that they would take like one protest with one sign. Like, there's like one guy who had Obama looking like um, some kind of Native American Indian doctor with like a sheathcloth cloth on and some horns coming out of his head or whatever. And then, like, there's one other guy who had, like, Obama with a Hitler mustache. And the media would focus (laughs) on those two people, like, on a loop. Every time there's going to be a Tea Party protest reference in the news, it would be, like, the Obama doctor guy and the Obama Hitler guy with the signs. (laughs) And that would be all they would show over and over and over again. And, you know, MSNBC was calling them the tea baggers, and Obama called Mm -hmm. them that, too. And we all, well... People who have ever been to Urban Dictionary know what tea bagger means, but (laughs) this is a family show, so we will not repeat it here, Uh, but they're mocked. (laughs) This is a family
2: show, really?
0: Yes. (laughs) Alex didn't realize that last week, but yes, this is. Um, Okay. (laughs) So anyway, um, you know, they were covered to that kind of, there's these kook, right, far right conservative people who are wearing like Benjamin Franklin wigs and going out into the (laughs) mall and talking about dropping tea into the Boston Harbor or whatever. And it was much right. more than that. In every, like, print article that was referencing the Tea Party protest, it would always include a reference to these conservatives. There's are these right-wing people. There's these kind of Republicans who are going out and protesting in the Obama administration. But go look at the, the, the print articles of this Women's March. You'll, you'll be hard-pressed to find a single article that mentions how they're liberals, how they're Democrats, how they're progressives, how they're looking to complain about these progressive liberal type issues. There's not mm-hmm. a people reference to ideology in the coverage of this march. It's just, you know, normal average people spontaneously across the country, across the world on the very same day that was planned. It was spontaneous, mind you, coming together and protesting Donald Trump's administration and his policy. Mm-hmm. So, like, right. The, right. these might seem like kind of trivial things, the difference in words. But they really do matter because they shape how America and the world views these protests and the ideologies associated with them. And so, you know, Mm -hmm. um, what I was going to complain about is the kind of disparity in the coverage and treatment of these two things. You know, CNN went wall to wall with the, the Women's March in Washington. But back in 2009, when the Tea Party protest was happening on April 15th, they had this correspondent go out to one of the protests and kind of berate the, the people who were there, like this dad with this kid, it's on YouTube. Um, this dad and this kid are being asked by this CNN woman, this correspondent, um, don't you know the taxes are going down for the middle class? Why are you out here? Don't you know what's actually happening and what's actually going on? And, like, she would cut him mm-hmm. off over and over and not let him finish. And, you know, then she, like, tossed back to the studio and she was like, Oh, well, you can see what's kind of going on out here and the kinds of people that are out here. Uh, so back to you in the studio because I can't get in a word in edgewise because these people are so rowdy. And the Tea Party <laughs> people are like the most peaceful protesters ever. The thing about the <laughs> right is, and why I don't protest and people like me don't protest is because that's not what we do on the right. We don't go out and protest. And when we do it's kind of clumsy and clunky and we wear Ben Franklin wigs. But we don't go around uh, rioting and burning things and, uh, like, breaking windows and looting like hey, they did hey, after. Hey. The- that
2: was not what the Women's March No, 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 about. that's not what
0: the Women's March Do was. Not get I'm, I was going to say, after the inauguration, though, that's what I was going to. After the inauguration sure. that night, there were riots and burning of cars. You know, Larry King had a rented car. Larry King with a rented car, for the love of peace. And that car's windows <laughs> got busted in D.C. that night by these protesters. And there were 217 mm-hmm. arrests in D.C. alone on the night of the inauguration by left-wing protesters. Now, obvi- now mm-hmm. you're right about the women's march. That was a peaceful march. But in general, like on the inauguration night and whenever there's a black man who's shot by the police, regardless of what the circumstances are, it doesn't matter if it's justified or unjustified, a lot of these cities they go up in flames because left-wing protesters who are— feel aggrieved by the man or the system or Republicans or conservatives, they come out and burn mm-hmm. stuff up. And But the right, right never does that. And so, you know, the way that the media covers the right and the left is very disparate and very unfair, mm-hmm. and that's why I complain about things like that. I mean, do you see any difference in the coverage of the Tea Party and those protests in oh9 and '10 versus the coverage of this March? This march?
2: I mean, I didn't see either... Coverages, but I I take your word for it, and I think I think this this bias is well known. In fact, it almost explains the disbelief of over you know Donald Trump winning. You know everyone everyone thought Hillary was gonna win. It wasn't ever, it wasn't a question. Like we were just gonna watch it as a formality, and then all of a sudden you know Trump wins. Um, and I think it's because the coverage has been you know more one-sided and. Um, yeah, I, you know, that's, that's my understanding of the situation. And let me get to uh, now Madonna,
0: who was speaking yeah. on uh, Friday as well. Um, oh, you that's know, right. CNN and MSNBC, who was, you know, were covering these, this like it was Jesus coming back or something. Um, they were covering <laughs> this wall-to-wall. And when Madonna got on stage and dropped the F-bomb live on TV three times, you know, they were, had to cut away from the coverage. But they were still praising Madonna for the sentiments she was expressing and how powerful her speech was despite her crazy ranting and part of her ranting was talking about blowing up the white house listen to this michael yes
1: i'm angry yes i am outraged yes i have thought an awful lot about blowing up the white house but i know (laughs) <laughs> that this won't change
0: anything Oh for the love of Pete And so you know She clearly says she thought a lot about Blowing up the White House but it won't change anything right. Now you know the day after that she was saying How out of context she was And how she's so peaceful loving And would never do something so violent But let me remind you That in 2010 when Gabrielle Giffords Was shot in Arizona A congresswoman from Arizona um, She was shot by some crazy person At one of her town hall meetings Uh, The media went hog wild over Sarah Palin because Sarah Palin had said that we should be targeting districts across the U.S., including Gabrielle Gifford's districts. Now, she was obviously talking about targeting those districts for the election, the House election in 2010, the midterm. Everyone knows that. But Sarah Palin, Mm -hmm. you know, she had to lower the temperature because she was ratcheting up the temperature in this country because people can do something violent if they hear someone saying targeting a district— but when Madonna says, I thought about blowing up the White House, no, oh, come on, she didn't really mean that. She was just being uh, joking, and then they just take her word for it, and it's just, that's how the coverage is. And that is why people on the right are so fed up with uh, the media, number one, and the left right. in general. You see that point.
2: Well, the right has their own media, right?
0: Well, they have, They have. Uh, you know, Fox News gives conservatives a voice and has people who, you know, they don't treat conservatives like, you know, some crazy person from Mars. And then the right Right. has talk radio, and that's pretty much it. You know, the left has everything else. Well, the right also
2: has sudden depth, and that's a pretty big deal. I think think it's about equal at this point, right? (laughs) No, certainly yeah, so MSNBC equal. versus sudden Up. It's, you know I, I think it's fair.
1: <laughs> right.
0: Well, our ratings are about as big as MSNBC, so in that sense, it is equal. <laughs> You're right about that. Um, but you know, you know, this was kind of thing that you know, Trump and his, his spokesperson were complaining about. How it's just in the uh, his first press conference, um, his full press conference, he was talking about how you know the media is always presuming the worst about Trump and his administration. Everything is viewed in a negative light automatically. They're never given I mean, the benefit of the doubt that the Obama administration was given. They had CNN had a reporter in the early days, the first 100 days of Obama's administration at a press conference, get up and ask Obama what has enchanted him the most about his job as president. Yeah, it'll be a cold day in Hades before the media ever asks Trump what's enchanted him the most about his presidency <laughs> for the love of peace.
1: Well, okay.
2: Trump has said some pretty colorful things that I think warrant some skepticism to put it in the most mild sense. So I don't think, I can't, I don't know. Again, I can't think of a president who's been this controversial you know, in
3: my life. You're right.
2: He
0: does say, he shoots himself in the foot. He basically hands the media a gun to shoot him with. Uh, But on the other hand, there's a lot of things that they, you know, he does right or at least doesn't do wrong and they still don't give him the benefit of the doubt. And the perfect example from this past weekend is, you know, uh, when the the, a pool of reporters came into the the Oval Office and one of the pool reporters from Time Magazine, Deke Miller, uh, allegedly was looking around for a bust of Martin Luther King Jr. that Obama had put in during his time. And he Mm -hmm. says he couldn't find the bust. And so he goes and tweets out at Lightning speed oh, my gosh, Trump has removed the bust of MLK (laughs) from the Oval (laughs) Office. Now, people who are at that rally that you went to and the left in general already views him as kind of this racist bigot. You heard it in Ashley Judd remarks. He's putting you back in shackles, black people. Um, So if you're going to see something out like that that, – yeah, I am too. I hate these things. If Alex could get better, he could give me the key, but – uh, I'll be in shackles <laughs> from now on, I guess. Uh, but anyway, uh, you know, this when you tweet something out like that, it's obviously going to have racial implications. The People are going to pick it up really fast, and that's going to be uh, seen as evidence about just how racist Trump is. He removed the bust of MLK from the office a week after MLK Day because he doesn't like black people. I told you I knew it. But it turns out mm-hmm. the story was bogus. The bust of MLK was right there in the Oval Office. Zeke just didn't take the effort to go look for it. Very well. Um, he says there was a door covering it or something like that. It's totally unbelievable. So, you know, you, they assume the worst at every turn, at every chance they get. Now, does Trump do some things that warrant negative coverage? Why, of course he does. And he does it more so than most presidents do. But that doesn't mean mm-hmm. that every single thing he does is evil or horrible and that everything should be viewed in that light. And while it is kind of complaining and whining from the White House press secretary that the complaining about that because you got to have thick skin in that job. There is a lot of truth in what he's saying about the, the lopsided media coverage, is there not? Yes, definitely.
2: Yes. I, think, I think, I mean, all I'll say about this is that there's some things that Trump says that cannot and should not be ignored. Um, and then when those things are triggered and i don't mean to use that word because it's a very <laughs> <Yeah>. uh <laughs> <Right>. very charged <laughs> word but when yes, you know when those things ignite emotions within you it's hard to be be fair you know it's hard to be like yes yeah, he sexist his thought i actually like his policy on environment you know like it's just right. like wow he like really shits on these people like i bet you people just watched and i will feel this, like when he did the whole impersonation of that reporter and I don't want to get into that, but like that's that's intense. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm willing to say he's a bad man just for that. And then we'll go to what else he says. I'm like, Well, he kinda of did the thing where he made fun of that poor little reporter.
0: So Right. So I will remind you once again by the way, example. this is the family show, Mr. Sang, and uh we like to use maybe the word defecates on something or something to that effect. Uh ah, definitely, so. I, I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> for the love of Pete, but yes i get your point uh <laughs> we talked about the the uh, disabled guy actually last week and uh, several times before but yes again he does do things that warrant uh criticism obviously but again that yeah. doesn't mean everything he does is like hitler and you had people i, as, as I, I speech. you know chris matthews from msnbc called his speech hitlerian for the love of Pete, i mean it's just so iris this is the same guy who got the thrill up his leg when obama spoke if you remember that, and now it's calling Trump Hitlerian. It's just ridiculous. And it's uncalled for. And if the press, you know, you said people kind of have their own emotions when when, mm-hmm. they, when Trump says certain things. But the press, the journalists, have a job to put those aside and just tell us what happened. Right. Uh, bring right. truth to power, challenge them when they, need, when they need to be challenged. But you have right. to be able to put your own uh, biases aside when covering the White House. You want to, if you want to have right. opinions and expound, expound mm-hmm. those opinions, then become a commentator. Become Bill O'Reilly. Mm-hmm. Become Chris Matthews. And clearly state where you stand. But if you're going to pretend to be an objective journalist, then be an objective journalist. That's all I ask. Is that so much to ask? <laughs> it just might be, Rashawn. Okay. <laughs> Great. Um, well, um, I thought it might be a lot to ask you to come on the program, but you came on anyway. And, you know, you said you never talked to me that for 40 minutes before. Well, you've now spoken for 56 minutes to me. So oh, I told you time was fly by. <laughs> That's almost a whole hour. And we've still got an yeah. interview coming up after this. And so, oh but so anyway.
2: What an exciting I, episode.
0: I know. I, but anyway, I do want to thank you. This was a very good appearance by you, Mr. Stang. You might have some more appearances in your future um, if you keep this kind of stuff up. Uh, oh, But well, so thank, thank you for you. coming on.
2: Oh, it was my pleasure. Absolutely.
0: Hey Alex, tell Michael thank you before I leave. Ah! <laughs> oh,
2: wow, hey, his voice got don't know a lot better. Like three years old, but that just gets me every time. I'm, I'm sorry.
0: His wife's got a lot better over the course uh, of the show. That's, that's, that's a lot stronger now. Yeah, it's, uh, I
2: think your timing is really getting there, man. We, I don't even think you'd need to bring Alex back. I, I hate you. Yes. You know, I think you kind of got his role down pat. Yes.
0: His essence, that's right. <laughs> that's Right, right, Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's, anyway, that's all
2: I got from him.
0: Thank you. You're very busy, I'm sure, with your doctoring, and you came on anyway, and we appreciate it. Yes. Uh, thanks for coming on yet well, again, and don't be a stranger, okay?
2: You're very welcome. Thanks for having me on the show, Sean.
0: No problem. That's Michael saying, everybody, um, he, he really was pretty good. Now, the moment we've all been waiting for, or at least some of us have, but you probably should have, because this is a great moment. We have an exclusive interview with one Joseph Kezada. We recorded it uh, this past weekend um, on Saturday, and we talked to him about a bunch of things, uh, the Trump administration, the Latino view on Trump administration, and uh, even football. And so sit back, relax, get some popcorn, because our first Sudden depth, Sudden Guest segment starts right now with one Joseph Joseph, how you doing?
4: Doing pretty good, Rashawn. How are you?
0: I'm great. Uh, thanks for joining us today. Uh, by the way, uh, my co-host, he couldn't be here because uh, he actually fell down a well um, on his way to the studio. So, you know, he and Tiny Tim are hanging down there. It is unfortunate. And uh, I told him about those wells and we walking down them, but he walked down them anyway. So um, we'll see if we can get him but out really in the
4: meantime. We had wells in yeah. Houston, but I suppose yeah. it's... Uh... So we are everywhere.
0: Yes, we have a, a new mayor um, recently, and he uh, apparently installed well. So he'll come back at some point. Uh, I'm not sure when, but you're here right now, and that's all that matters. Uh, Joseph, by the way, is a lawyer, a Latino, and a liberal. And he's really good with the L-word descriptions. Um, we called him L-word Joey uh, back in law school. But uh, just so you know, this, this guy is on point. So, Joseph, um, I wanted to talk to you about the Donald Trump administration. The president was just sworn in yesterday. Um, and, you know, during the course of the speech, he uh, kind of said some things about America that uh, people thought as dark and uh, kind of dreary. But then he also said this. Take a listen the to this. The bedrock
3: of our politics will be a total allegiance to the United States of America. And through our loyalty to our country, we will rediscover... Our loyalty to each other. When you open your heart to patriotism, there is no room for prejudice.
0: When you open your heart to patriotism, there's no room for prejudice. As a president who's been seen as very divisive, uh, first of all, did you see this speech yesterday? And second of all, what do you think about that specific line?
1: I
4: I did catch glimpses. I did catch uh bits and pieces of the speech yesterday. Um obviously as the uh crowd that was in attendance indicated, it was uh it was not a very uh uniting uh movement uh based based on what I observed from the little bits and pieces that I did see. Um I so I caught bits and pieces and I did hear that particular part and uh, you know what's 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 funny about about patriotism and being so united is that he has constantly made reference to a time period uh, where, according to President Trump, uh, we were much more united. And he, it, it's this it's this speculative time period that was uh, apparently when America was great. And so what's what's interesting to me is the amount of uh, the amount of of individuals who have progressed, particularly, you know, in different racial, in different ra- uh, racial groups in the right. past decade, in the past two decades, uh, I want to know where they stand in Mr. Trump's ideal image of the American society. And so what it sounds like Vince, so what he's
0: saying there, though, that, that he wants, uh, you know, us to come together and put America first. All of America's interests should come first. And because we as Americans all basically want the same things, if we think about America first, then that should unite us all and we shouldn't be at each other's throats and so divided. Uh, do you not buy that he is going to actually follow through with that kind of ideal in his administration?
4: I do. I do buy that he's going to follow through with it. Now, do I buy whether it's the, whether it's a ideal goal for an America where he is currently elected as president? I do not. Um, I do not think that he his his entire tone from the, from what I saw to his inaugural campaign and I and I listened to it and read you know excerpts of it later. He has not. He has not shown the kind of demeanor or any kind of of, uh, indication of being a president who's going to instill peace and unity within our country. If anything, the amount of retaliation and and backlash that he has received through protests, through through the lackluster of support that he's received from a majority of of, of individuals who are our age and our generation, uh, is a big indication to me that he... Is not going his his goal or his ideal campaign of, of putting American patriotism as, as a priority only appeals to one demographic. And, and in my opinion, it is not the uh, it is not the majority uh, of the of the individuals who elected our previous president. And what so demographic do you suppose
0: is appealing to?
4: Division. I'm sorry.
0: What what demographic do you suppose is appealing to if he's not appealing to that demographic you just talked about?
4: Well, I think uh, you know Dan Rather wrote a uh, wrote a nice essay on this yesterday, on the day of the inauguration, and uh, I think he put it best in the sense that he talked about how the uh, the kind of demographic that he was that he's appealing to is typically older, a generation that was from the '50s and '60s, and their majority are white males, uh, and I think Rather put it best in pretty much saying that Donald Trump, in just his general tone on the day that he was elected as U.S. president, has not gotten out of campaign mode in terms of his tone of aggression. And to me, it is, it is ironic that he is preaching for unity, yet, is, yet is, the effect is still so divisive, uh, just because and I feel like the only, the only audience he's appealing to happens to be that of those who elected for him, which is that particular demographic, uh, older, an older white generation.
0: So then um, why do, how do you suppose it is that uh, Trump was able to garner enough electoral votes and win enough states to become president? Because, you know, a lot of people who voted for Barack Obama twice and the Rust Belt states, you know, Wisconsin and Pennsylvania, Michigan, Ohio, Iowa, those people, a lot of them turned out for Donald Trump this time around, and there weren't even enough minority votes in states like Florida and North Carolina to be able to push Hillary Clinton over the top. Why do you suppose he was able to reach out to those Obama voters who flipped the Trump?
4: Well, you know, I think I think there was just, I mean, I think the Republican Party has been on its way up, and I, I do think that if it had it, you know, I think Hillary Clinton's campaign was was not. I don't think she was strong enough to to de, to deter a lot of these uh, would be Democratic, you know, voters. Um, you know, and unfortunately, I, I don't, you know, I don't know how he ended up winning the Electoral College uh but I, I do know you know that there's um there's still a majority there is still a majority in this country who who uh unfortunately are not are not geared towards uh you know change in terms of the kind of change that we' experienced in the past eight years and i, I don't you know unfortunately it was not you know the kind of progress we've made in the past decade was not enough to to uh to make its way you know, to its proportional effect in the Electoral College's vote,
0: unfortunately. Okay, so, um, you know, Donald Trump, you were mentioning how divisive he is, and, uh, you know, he is pretty divisive in some of his rhetoric, including what he said the very first day that he launched his campaign. You know, we played a clip of this uh, last week on the show, but listen to this uh, one more time about what he said about Mexicans being sent over the border.
3: When Mexico sends his people... They're not sending their best. They're not sending you. They're not sending you. They're sending people that have lots of problems, and they're bringing those problems with us. They're bringing drugs. They're bringing crime. They're rapists. And some, I assume, are good people.
0: Now, if you... you, (laughs) I have to laugh because... First of all, the grammatical errors, and they're bringing those problems with us. Uh, Leave those aside. But if you could put your Latino hat on for a second, your uh, sombrero, if you will, and speak for all Latinos uh, in the country, if you don't mind. Um, How do you think that that kind of comment kind of led to some of the divisiveness of his campaign and how uh, the Latino community sees him nowadays from the very beginning?
4: Well, I think a majority of of individuals who heard those statements uh, looked beyond the grammar. and I think the initial outlash is that it uh, it is extremely offensive towards anybody of Hispanic heritage. Uh, and thats that was that was not even prior to the uh, Trump University lawsuit involving the, you know a federal judge uh, where similar comments were made. but but just generally speaking, uh, as as a Latino and not even not even as a liberal, but as a Latino generally, Ah, uh, to generalize and to instill this negative, this negative connotation with being a Hispanic living in the United States, regardless of where you're, whether you are a first generation or second generation uh, immigrant, it it instills a negative hate that no that that no prior candidate had instilled to that degree. Uh, right. You know, it's it's and, and consistent with with everything, with the entire nature of his campaign, and even to the date of his inauguration, uh, Donald Trump's bombastic statements and general generalizations, uh, for some reason or another, resonates well with his with his voters. Um, right. And you, you mentioned his the generalization.
0: Were... You know, he speaks kind of in a general sense. He's not very precise with his language. Uh, but I do want to ask you about this particular comment. Do you think he was really uh, intentionally trying? to alienate Hispanic voters writ large, make them hate him, or what he speaking to, what, you know, what I think, and I've said on the show before, is this kind of idea that we have to just secure the borders and make sure that people who are coming across the border um, do it legally. Um, because, you know, in, the, in that clip he said, you know, he has this idea that Mexico is sending people over the border, but not every Mexican, just the worst of the Mexicans, the drug dealers, the rapists, the criminals. And now we know there are bad people who come from Mexico into the country. So is that what he was actually talking about? Or, you know, do you think he has some sort of malice in his heart towards Hispanics?
4: I don't know if he has malice in his heart towards Hispanics. I mean, obviously, you know, on, on Cinco de Mayo, he he demonstrated how much he loved the Hispanic culture by showing himself <laughs> of him eating a taco bowl, right? So how could a guy possibly hate Hispanics when he posts <laughs> something like that? Uh, but, oh, man. I mean, do, do, I, think, do I think that... He, you know, do I think that the general tone of his campaign is that he is a malicious person towards Hispanic individuals, Hispanic culture? No, I don't think anybody who is necessarily anybody who displays a discriminatory tone towards a certain race is necessarily necessarily malicious. However, do I do think that he has a degree of, of, of uh, what, what I, I guess what, what the way to, the best way to answer your question is, I want, it concerns me that there has been no specific clarification as to how he how he makes determinations, there's been no statistics cited, no, you know, there's been no indicators as to how he makes his determinations as to who are the, quote, bad Mexicans or the bad people who he's sending over the border. Does that, does that tell me that there might be a presumption that any Hispanic or Mexican is of a a bad kind? And and then, you know, I think what he said in his quote was, you know, and, you know, I'm sure some of them are good people. So what bothers me most about his statements are that he is operating under the presumption that all Hispanics that are sent, all immigrants that are sent over, that are sent apparently by the Mexican government, according to, you know, if, if we could take what he said, you know, accurately, he said sent by the Mexican government, are bad people. They are sending us, they're rapists, they're sending us, they're murderers. So are we to operate under the presumption that all Mexican, Mexican immigrants are, or immigrants coming from Mexico are these terrible people, and that some of them may be decent human beings? So anybody who speaks in a generalization operating under the presumption that a majority of these individuals fit that particular category, to me, has a degree of, I wouldn't say maliciousness, but there's definitely a degree of, of a, there's a discriminatory tone in, that, in those statements.
0: Yeah, I, I would, uh, you know, I could understand that point of view, but I, I think it's just more of a clumsy way that he speaks, uh, you know, there was the grammar issue in that one statement alone, but you're right, it's not very precise with statistics and or data, and,
4: uh, and, 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 and is that? And is anybody who, I mean, if you're, if, if you're going to say clumsy, if clumsy is your your talent, if, he, if he's going to be as clumsy as he is, and yet he's going to be promoting uh, unity around the notion of patriotism, do we really want somebody who's going to clumsily, or you know, in a clumsy fashion, offend a population or race who, by projected, is projected by the year 2050 to be almost a majority in this country? Is that somebody who we want? To, to be our president, and obviously, well, I mean, a lot of people did yesterday. Yeah,
0: yeah, a lot of, lot of course, people we'll did of in course. November. So I think you know what I think. What the reason is that people overlook these kinds of uh, clumsy character traits or generally bad character traits about Donald Trump is because of the policies that he's uh, at least campaigning on or has campaigned on, and you know, the policy of building the wall and. uh, renegotiating trade deals with Mexico and just kind of being tough on uh, immigration, getting rid of sanctuary cities, withholding federal funding from sanctuary city cities, things like that. I think those are the kinds of policies that a lot of people in the states I mentioned earlier uh, kind of liked that weren't happening under the Obama administration to their liking. And so the kind of last question I want to ask you is looking forward, what are some of the policies that Donald Trump's going to be pursuing on these topics? Are you concerned about or worried about and why is that?
4: Um, you know, the, the first one that, that comes to mind, obviously there are a number of concerns that I have, uh, but as, you know, just generally speaking in terms of policy, I, his, his, for one thing, his cabinet nominations have been concerning, uh, particularly the um, environmental, the, the fact that the environmental uh, protection agency, uh, it's his, his potential candidate is, uh, you know, obviously very concerning. It's uh, you know it's a guy you know Scott, Scott Pruitt. Pruitt who's been suing yeah. exactly Scott Pruitt who's been suing who has sued the APA a number of times in the past five to ten years and who is now the head of that who is going to be heading that organization and so just from an environmental perspective uh, you know the that is very concerning to me as far as his, as his policy concerning the the environment uh, and promoting large uh, large commerce.
0: Well, like, what what are what are the policies concerning the environment that you think Trump and Putin are going to be pushing that you're concerned about? So, you know, what they have kind of said so far is that, generally speaking, regulations, environmental regulations, are burdensome to a lot of uh, business owners, a lot of farmers, a lot of ranchers, uh, coal companies, companies that uh, help power our homes and things like that. And so that they're going to cut some of those burdens uh, and those regulations because, you know, you know, the, a bureaucracy as big as the federal government has a lot of ridiculous regulations, and so I think that's kind of their main focus uh, as of now is what they discussed. So is there anything in that kind of uh, deregulatory environmental policy that concerns you?
4: Well, specifically, I mean, I, I can only work with what the president has just said, right? And and yeah. consistent with the rest of his campaign, he's made you know he's made bombastic comments regarding the EPA, saying he's going to dismantle the EPA and, and that he's going to, you know, He's going to uh, cut back on, on some, a lot of the policies, including the, you know, the Clean Air Act. Uh, he's going, you know, this basically taking step backwards from what the Obama administration established with, uh, you know, protecting communities and society from the industrial pollution uh, that our country has generated. And, uh, you know, it's, it's more of a concern with, with the generalization, with the generalistic statements and not to mention the appointment he just made, which to me is much scarier than Trump's general generalized comments regarding the environmental regulation reforms. Uh, that that's what's most concerning are his general, his general tones on the policy. There's isn't one specific act that I'm concerned that he's going to do in his capacity as a president. Rather, it's the, it's the tone that he is bringing in the year 2017 towards environmental and climate change, that to me is most concerning Uh, and particularly that the the first step in that, in that was, you know, you know, appointing somebody like Scott Pruitt as his head of the EPA uh, who is by far is going to be the most hostile uh, is going to be at least the most hostile, the hostile head of the environmental protection agency that they've had in years.
2: And it's going to be, it's going to instill.
4: It it will be extremely divisive, uh, extremely, extremely divisive uh, next couple of years under Mr. Trump's watch.
0: Well, <laughs> here's some sunshine and hope for you folks. It's going to be an extremely divisive next four years, uh, according to Joseph Kazada. Now, okay, so here's the actual last question. I know you're an avid National Football League fan, a um, uh, Houston Texans fan, I-, I would imagine, seeing as you're a Houston Texans-based person. So, you know, who's won the Super Bowl? You know <laughs> well, let's just pretend, whatever your fandom is, who do you predict going to the Super Bowl number one, and who is going to win the said Super Bowl. What is JQ's prediction for the big game?
4: I think it's going to be the Patriots and the Green Bay Packers. What about
0: the Steelers? You know, the, the I would, Steelers? No, that's us Oh
4: man, I, you know the Steelers. The Steelers have an offense; they're an offensive powerhouse. But you know, I, I don't know how if their defense is going to hold up against. I mean, I don't think they're going to. They have enough to defeat New England. Uh, you know, I think that's going to be a great match. But to me, you know, the way the way Tom Brady's been here before the Steelers are finally healthy and they were, they were, you know, they did outstanding this, this this season and they finally came together this past, uh, this past week on offense, but I just don't think it's going to be enough to beat the Patriots the way they're playing right now. And as far as the NFC is concerned, Aaron Rodgers is, is a bad man. And, uh, I just, I, I don't think the way he's playing it's right bad now, bad in the Georgia literal sense
0: of bad or bad as in the young folks sense of bad as in, you know, the opposite of bad?
4: Uh, I would say bad, as in the our generations term. To use bad, I don't know what the uh, general demographic is of your audience, but I <laughs> would be safe to assume that you know we have a 92 year old grandmother listening to us.
0: That's what we have. Anyway, thank you so much for joining us, Joseph. It, you were really good. I, I must say, I'm impressed. I'm an impressed person. I'm sure my co-host, listening from the bottom of the well, is, is equally as impressed. And uh, you know, JT's out there doing his thing in the Kesada Law Firm, doing something great and We'll expect big things from him. Uh, come back uh, sometime in the future, and soon. Or I appreciate season, it, Rashawn. Thanks,
4: thanks for having me on. And uh, you know, I, it's uh, you know, anytime you uh, anytime you need to uh, indulge your guests with another Latino liberals vote, I'd be happy to uh, <laughs> to oblige.
0: <apply. laughs> that's, that's what I love doing. Joseph Gazatti here on sudden death. Okay, so as I said before that uh, interview was taped on Saturday. And, um, then Sunday came along and, you know, actual football was played. and you know, it turns out that, uh, well, maybe Aaron Rodgers is actually bad in the traditional sense of the word bad because the Packers got their head handed to them, um, by the Falcons. And so, you know, so much for that prediction, but, uh, we appreciate you coming on anyway, Joseph. Um, you know, for giving it a shot. Uh, and, you know, the rest of interview, you, you did a fantastic job. In fact, both Michael and Joseph uh, were very great today. This was a, a really jam-packed show. I mean, you could you could sell this show as Welch's Jelly because it was so jam-packed. Get it? Because jelly and jam in the sell. I thought that was pretty clever myself, actually. Um, uh, what do you think about that joke, Alex? You think that was a, a good joke? or? <laughs> okay okay (laughs) it wasn't that bad alex Uh, anyway um so you know next week hopefully alex's voice will be back or he'll get out of the well one or the other and then he'll be back and we'll talk about some more things and we'll do them in our trademark sudden death type of way um but thank you for listening (laughs)